You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the podcast. All right, now let's get into our episode, which is uh, just you and me today. You and me. Yeah. And we're we're going to be thinking through this question. How do we read the Bible now that we've ruined it? And of we, course, we haven't ruined it. We mean this by we, we mean Pete, because <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, Pete's always re- ruining books. He's yeah. ruined Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Little Isaiah. Yeah. And so we sometimes get this question. Okay, great. Thanks for ruining it. Now, what do we do with it? And today we're going to answer every single one of those questions. With I don't know. (laughs) We didn't say we were going to answer it well. No, of course, we're going to end with more questions. That's how we do things here at the Bible for Normal People. We're sort of Zen. The history of the Christian church has always taken the Bible with utmost seriousness. But they also understood things like flexibility in interpretation. There are different ways of looking at these things. And that's a gift, I think. I mean, to, to, to approach the Bible with the expectation that people will come to different conclusions on the basis of, the, of what they're reading from their own personalities, their own experiences, that's simply an acknowledgement of not the Bible's less than, but of our own human limitations and frailties. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and She said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. When some of this comes from a presentation we gave not too long ago on this topic, and one of the things, maybe if I can start us with this, we played a lot off of uh, one of our previous guests, Walter Brueggemann. He Mm -hmm. has this metaphor in a book called Text Under Negotiation, which I always recommend you don't read it because it's really nerdy and boring. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Brueggemann books to read, maybe not that one. But one of the really valuable things is this idea of the Bible as a compost pile. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's offensive yeah, because they think, oh, the Bible's garbage then, huh? Yeah. But whenever you really take some time to think about it, it's a really a beautiful metaphor for maybe what we can do with the Bible now. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also a beautiful metaphor because it, it seems to describe the way the situation actually is. So, you know, the idea, uh, Jared, that we've gone through a lot, we've talked about this now and then, is that the Bible is that out of which things grow. It's not the focus. Like when you're planting a garden, you don't, you got to have a good good soil, good compost. 
but it isn't like, hey, come on over and look at the compost only. It's what grows out of it. And different gardens grow different things. They may grow roses. They may grow other kinds of flowers. They may grow vegetables. Uh, you know, in our garden at home, we have uh, uh, zucchini, which I hate, but we also have uh, other vegetables that I can barely tolerate. So it's it just depends. And, and, you know, different parts of the world, different soils will grow different kinds of things, but they're coming out of, you know, to keep the analogy, the same compost pile. And over time, you know, people grow different things. They have different tastes, I guess. So I, I find that valuable, Jared. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it's it's a helpful way of thinking about the beautiful things that grow up out of the compost pile. And not everything that grows looks exactly the same. And you might not even like some of the things that grow out of it. But for other people, it might be their existence is on the line because they can grow those carrots and that rhubarb or whatever they do. Yeah. And I also like it because it sets up the Bible as one thing of it's a necessary thing in, uh, in faith, if we're going to keep the analogy, but it's not the only thing it's not sufficient. There's other things you need to grow a healthy plant or grow grow fruit. I mean, in some ways this is a biblical metaphor as Jesus talks about the fruit growing and so, yes, it's great to have soil, but you also need rain and you also need sunlight. And mm-hmm. there's these other things that set up putting the Bible in a context where you need other things alongside of it. And I right. think that's something that we've talked about more and more in the last couple of seasons, that those things maybe are our own experiences, mm-hmm. our tradition, yeah, reason, wisdom. Those are things that play into a life of faith, which may be new for some people who always taught, you know, sola scriptura is a little bit of a contradiction with this compost pile analogy, as though that's all we need. Yeah. And I mean, I I know some fairly uh, conservative people who say, you know, scripture is not sufficient in and of itself. You, you know, our, our, our lives come into it, tradition comes into it, reason comes into it. Or even like natural revelation. Uh, yeah, like knowing just how things work out there, right? So, so you know, I mean, you, you, you engage science or history, and then you sort of read portions of the Bible, and you say, listen, I have to engage this biblical text with all these other things, and then something, let's say, wonderfully theological can grow out of those conversations. And this is hardly a new idea. This is something that has been with the church since the very beginning. It's, you know, just look at the ancient Greek fathers and 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 how they employed philosophical language in their own context to grow certain things out of this compost pile. And, you know, I, I know, Jared, that, you know, some listening here might think, again, this is really degrading of the Bible, but... Again, without the compost pile, nothing grows. There's nothing there, right? So it's, the compost is non-negotiable. It's just not sufficient. It can't sufficient. just be the only thing. It doesn't grow things on its by own. itself. Right. It needs and other things. it's not the point. The yeah. point is the growth. That, that which comes out of it is the point. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think, you know, my emphasis in my tradition growing up was that Bible reading in itself is the end not the means, right, but right. the end. It is the end, yeah. Right, and right. recognizing when it's a means, like you've talked about it in past episodes, a means of grace. There are lots of means of spiritual growth mm-hmm. and faith formation, and the Bible is one of those. So I think that's important when we talk about how to read the Bible now that we've ruined it. It's putting it in its proper place in the toolkit of right. a vibrant faith. Right, which is, again, not to denigrate, but to 
I would say more to recognize. Well, let's talk about that because if you grew up thinking that the Bible had to be or was the inerrant word of God, in some ways this will feel like a denigration. But I would just mm-hmm. say that was an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, what do you mean? To have on it. And so just the idea of denigration is like, well, yeah, in some ways this is taking it down off this pedestal of, I guess, the assumption that a high view of Scripture necessitates inerrancy. Right, yeah. The, the, in other words, the compost has to have no pebbles in it. Right. Right. So with, anyway, with that, maybe yeah. going in a, a, direct, a, a different direction but similar. One other thing I like about the compost pile is that it's a repository of tradition and the Bible itself is a part of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Just like when we say out of that grows new things, you mentioned the church fathers in mm-hmm. the fourth century who they had the biblical text and out of that they added Greek philosophy mm-hmm. and that comes some new language. And then the medieval uh, theologians added on to that and mm-hmm. then the reformers added on to that. And mm-hmm. here we are adding on to that. It is the soil gets richer and richer and new material gets put right. on top of it. Yeah. And the Bible isn't of a different thing. It is part of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you, for service, and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to 
upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Now, how about this, though? Again, I'm, I'm trying to anticipate what some people might say that, okay, all these things get added, but can anything be added? Is, you know, can you just, can anything come out of this or is there any sort of boundary, you know, um, or, or are some things that grow out of it just bad things to grow out of a garden? And, and my answer is, yeah, I, I, I think that's true, but holding the Bible to an unrealistic standard, let's say, is not going to guarantee that you don't have that issue to work through, right? People with the, quote, highest view of the Bible, the most inerrantist of all inerrantists, there are problems with their interpretations with all of us because the Bible is not the most unambiguous piece of literature ever compiled. You know, it's, it's got questions that come up in reading it. And so an, an inerrant Bible doesn't safeguard what I think people are, what might they might be concerned or afraid about thinking of the Bible like a compost pile. Well, and maybe more importantly, I mean, more importantly from my perspective for some, you know, doctrine is the most important thing. But for me, it doesn't safeguard against a people who love like Jesus. Right. So you can have an inerrantist idea that the Bible will give us, it's sufficient and necessary for everything that we need. And yet we still have things like the SBC scandal with all this sexual abuse going on in the church. And so this perfectionistic idea of the Bible doesn't safeguard against what I think is the more important thing, which is how we live our lives Mm -hmm. in relationship to each other. So for me, yeah, it's a little bit risky, but I also think it's not only realistic, but important to give weight to the community. And so mm-hmm. this goes back to which came first, an inerrant Bible or a church, a, the people of God, the community of God, the rule of faith that then the the Bible supports. Mm-hmm. And I think that's still true today. So when we say, how do we safeguard against this? The answer is not in an inerrant book. It's in the community of people being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. Mm-hmm in community with each other, holding Mm. each other accountable to this idea. And for me, that's a part and parcel of what we'd call wisdom. Right. And it's not, that doesn't happen, let's say, apart from the Bible. It happens in the engagement of the Bible as well. Because again, I'm anticipating an objection that, well, well, how do you know, you know, you can love all you want to, but how do you know if you have the right doctrine or this or that? And you have to pay attention to the Bible and you can't just jettison the Bible. Well, nobody's jettisoning anything. Okay. We're just recognizing that this is not a pyramid that we're building where the foundation is a perfect, flawless view of a perfect, flawless Bible and everything else grows out of that. It's more of like a matrix, an interconnection of, of nodes on a web. And, you know, if you can imagine that and just signals firing back and forth and together those signals firing back and forth make us and how we think and how we process and and you know love as part of that net uh, that matrix is i think um well i mean that's so clearly biblical right <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so clearly part of the tradition mm-hmm. so it rises to the top i think you know with that kind of i want to come back to the question for this episode of how do we read the Bible now that we've ruined it? And I think one thing we've said is we read it in concert with these other things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. It's not that foundation that then everything has to be 
you know, filtered through, mm-hmm. but it is a node on a, you know, multi-nodal network mm-hmm. of faith expression, which again, isn't new. Right. This is going back centuries mm-hmm. for how the church thought about faith. And, but I think that's how we read the Bible now that mm-hmm. we've ruined it is we put it in its proper place in the toolkit of faith. Again, for some, if that was the only tool that mattered, it might feel like we're jettisoning the Bible. But what we're really saying is it's just one thing among many. It's an important mm-hmm. thing. Right. But it is only one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think there's, in a sense, what you're saying is partly this is going back to some pre-modern sensibilities, right? Which a lot of theologians talk about and say, yeah, that's that's pretty much needed. And I'm reminded of your series of the making of the modern mindset, how, I mean, not to beat a dead horse here, but how certain approaches to the nature of the Bible that make it a foundation to everything that we do and think, that is a product of that modern mindset and not really a mindset that's been part of the historic, both Christian and Jewish faiths over the past couple thousand years. So there's a sense in which, you know, I, I don't mind saying, Jared, I don't know about you, but I, I think there's there's a sense in which a course correction is needed. And I think that course correction is coming from people who are saying, I can't do this anymore. This doesn't make sense in, of my reality And I need to find a different relationship, let's say, with the Bible. And, you know, if there's anything that we're about talking about, it's that. It's it's how do we have a different relationship with the Bible and a way of of trying to discover what that is. It's just listening to other people talk and how they engage it and why they engage it. Yeah. So with that, you know, listening to other people, I think it's a great segue to our next point, which is, you know, how do we read the Bible? I think seeing it as a compost pile, not the end in itself, but that which new things can grow out of. I think, two, seeing it as one tool among many in the toolkit. But then thirdly, with what you just gave as a new metaphor of this pyramid, we might say the pyramid in the net, right? Let's mm-hmm. play off the old David Klein's yeah. essay, um, nerdy reference that no one will get. But if we have the pyramid in the net, now let's go with that metaphor. Whenever you have a pyramid, we have the foundation and everything has to build off of that. You can't have diversity or plurality in how we mm-hmm. interpret the Bible because we're looking for a sure foundation. So we need the one correct interpretation. Right. It's not about what grows out of it. It's not about this network. It's about the one true meaning of that text so that we can have certainty and surety mm-hmm. and grow out of that. With, and, and build on top of and that. build on sure top foundation. of that. But yeah. if we have a net where it's all these nodes, then actually diversity and plurality strengthens because the more nodes we have, the fuller picture we get. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, another good point to make about how we read our Bible is we read it within or respect for diversity and plurality. Right. And, you know, just back to that analogy of the pyramid, it's like if the point of the pyramid is to make that foundation as solid and immovable and permanent as possible, not something that grows and changes and interacts and you don't put some bricks and then some pebbles and then acorns or something on the bottom. Yeah. You have to have that sure foundation. And I always think of that hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, which is not saying the same thing as the Bible. Right. And, and I think, you know, in, in my opinion, just from my own studying this stuff over the years and you too, Jared, 
the history of the Christian church has always taken the Bible with utmost seriousness. But they also understood things like flexibility in interpretation. There are different ways of looking at these things. And that's a gift, I think. I mean, to, to, to approach the Bible with the expectation that people will come to different conclusions on the basis of, the, of what they're reading from their own personalities, their own experiences, which is huge. I mean, how many guests have we had on the podcast over the past six years who are people of color or people who are not like us in one way or the other who have insights into just the nature of God or the nature of faith or the nature of the Bible that we might not have gotten to in the course of our existence because we just don't see things the same way, right? So um, that I think the flexibility notion and the plurality notion, that's simply an acknowledgement of not the Bible's less than, but of our own human limitations and frailties, you know, how, how can you just say, here's a book, this is how you understand everything, this is the one way to understand it, and if you don't, God's really mad at you, right? What, what if this is more of a compost pile that generates things? You know, I'm, just, I'm just remembering here, uh, Rachel Held Evans in her book, um, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, and what she learned from engaging uh, uh, Jews for reading her own Bible, and the, how much they, they revel around the notion of this flexibility and plurality without feeling the need to come to a solid final answer that everyone agrees on. That's not really known in Jewish interpretation. Frankly, it's not really that known in Christian interpretation either, but that's what it is. And because their, their foundation is not the Bible, their foundation is the tradition that's been built over the years around the Bible. And the, the, what unifies them is their own Jewish heritage, right? So, you know, to Christians, you could draw an analogy a little bit and say, well, what holds Christians together? Well, the church's one foundation <laughs> is Jesus Christ our Lord. And, well, what does that mean? Great question. We can talk all about what Jesus Christ her Lord means, and that's part of it. But Trying to get at those things is a big thing that unites us, even though we look at it differently. And that, I don't know, Jared, I just get happy thinking about that because it just takes all, it takes the pressure off. Right, right. When again, for me, what takes that pressure off, and, and it's circling back to what we said earlier, is another way of saying, if the if we change what the goal is, then we can we, we're less anxious about who's in and who's out and mm -hmm. who's right and who's wrong. It's it's like saying when we go to the gym, what's the goal? If the goal is to get stronger, each of us have to set up our own workout in our own way because we recognize the diversity of our body types and where we're starting from and what our you know, what is our aim? And we're all doing it in our own way. No, I just wouldn't go to the gym. But anyway, go ahead, continue, please. <laughs> so so then we, we whenever we see that to get to the same end, we need a different means. Each of us have to go at it our own way. I think helps us to, that's different than, no, the most important thing is that you all do it the same way. Yeah. So it's changing the ends with the means. And I think that comes back to this compost pile that at the end of the day, just when you were talking about Jewish tradition, I feel like there's a huge emphasis on being faithful to God. Mm -hmm. How can we be right. faithful to God in our generation? Mm -hmm. And if that's the anchor to be faithful to God, 
then how we get there is going to be different for different people. It's going to be through the arguing. It's going to be through the process. It's yeah. not going to be through the, no, you just do one, two, three, and you get to four, and everybody's always going to be the same, and you're always going to do it the same way. This is conveyor belt mentality of what faith is about. It reminds me of, I think we've said it a couple of times, but I think John Levinson says, you know, for Jews, faith is a problem to be solved. And for Christians, it's a message to be proclaimed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that, the, the Bible is, is a message the, to be proclaimed, yeah, right, not the, faith. The yeah. Bible. Yeah. And so that difference of mentality, because whenever it's a message to be proclaimed as a Christian tradition in the last couple hundred years, at least in America, we've gotten really good at making it a product that gets put on an assembly line and we get replicated over and over and over. We're mass producing it rather than getting into the weeds of a problem to be solved, which mm-hmm. takes creativity and innovation and community and back and forth. It's just a very different way of seeing how we engage this text. Well, I mean, I could be wrong about this because, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to say something that's sort of very big here and, and I'm, I'm not convinced I have it all right. But um, I think what fuels, let's say, that assembly line product mentality is maybe like an, a, like an unconscious assumption that God is way off someplace. And what we have is the Bible. And the Bible is God's presence with us. And, you know, one change in my life over the past at least, definitely 15 years is thinking more of the presence of the Spirit of God in, in all people and all things and just permeating the entire universe, which sounds new agey to some people, but it's I don't think it's that at all. This is a very ancient Christian idea, you know. But I, I think if you're not trying to if you don't think your job is to access God from a distance through your obedience to scripture, but if you think rather the presence is there present all the time and your job is more to become aware of that presence and the Bible then becomes a a, a means uh, engaging it in community with other people of of becoming aware of a presence that's already there, not something that's far off up in some galaxy someplace, right? So, in other words, I think the deeper problem here is truly a theological problem in the strict sense of the word. It's Theo, God. How we picture God really affects how we think about the Bible. I think those two things are not distant. Mm-hmm. And so when you criticize the Bible, the the responses I get regularly are basically you're actually critiquing God. They might not put it quite that directly, but that's exactly what they're saying. Like when you mess with the Bible, you mess with God because this is God's word and God inspired it. And so, you know, the two things are basically two, uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And I, I find that to be a depressing way of thinking about the nature of reality, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose and it's just my throat hurts and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescriptive strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, 
a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways. And that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy. And I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BNP. I think that's really good. And I'd like to maybe use this as a chance to, to move into some of our personal experiences, because I think that might be helpful for people, like how we utilize it. But I... For me personally, I would want to tag on to that, you know, for you talking about changing how you view God to now not being transcendent up there and out there far away, but present in people and things. Another shift for me that was really big, I'd say over the last 20 years, is moving away from the God that can be controlled and explained in a systematic theology textbook to a God that cannot be understood or tamed in that way. And I think when we were talking about, you mentioned the spirit of God being bigger than the Bible, I couldn't help but think of in in John's gospel when they talk about the spirit and the spirit goes where it wishes. And that's that, that scary idea that it's not tameable, it's not controllable. And we gain some things with that, but we also lose some. We lose this sense of certainty and we lose this sense of safety. That's what a God who's contained in a book gives us. When you have God that's contained in a book, we get to master it. We get to dissect it. We get to parse it out because it's literally words on a page. But if God's bigger than that, then now we have an uncontrollable God and it feels scarier. And I think that uh, I think that's an important um, shift for me too, is to have this bigger God than the systematic theology books led me to believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, f- for me, you know, maybe a little somewhat ironic, uh, an ironic turn is that coming to that realization that you just spoke, I, I've come to those realizations by studying the Bible yes. very deeply. And it's not like, oh, I found the answer here in this verse. It's more like this whole collection of writings don't work the way others have insisted on pain of death that you agree with. It is the you know these diverse writings that have tremendous ambiguities, 
and the 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 antiquity of it all. It's not an easy book. You wrestle with the Bible. Wrestling with the Bible is what people of faith do. It isn't you go to a verse and this explains everything. You you look at passages where it seems like God's going to put people in in eternal torment when they die, and others like God loves the world so much, you know that you know he, he gave his only begotten Son. And, you know, I know people have ways of putting these things together, but they do create tensions. How do you reconcile the flood story with the cross? And I, despite attempts, I don't think that's something that's very, very easy to do. You have different portrayals of God in the Bible. And and that's the kind of thing, and especially when you look at it in, in the context historically in which some of these things were written, you just start coming up with a view of the Bible that is not that picture perfect, um, you know, garden in a greenhouse at, what's that Longwood Garden near our place? If you people don't know what what Longwood Garden is, you need to just Google it because it's a beautiful place. But like it's this picture perfect thing. It's pristine. Don't don't pick anything. It's very curated. Very curated. That's the word, right? Mm So I'm finding the Bible to be very uncurated. Right. It's just not, it's just not, it's just, this author clearly has never read this other guy. Or he has, but he and he doesn't even care. Right? He just puts it right in. And yeah. to me, that the compost pile analogy mm-hmm. helps me give language and concepts to what I have found to be in my life, in my understanding, how the Bible works, and just what the Bible is. And now the question, of course, is okay. Well, what do we do with it? Well, yeah, and and with that too, and and I appreciate you bringing that part of it in when you talk about the way the Bible functions, because another thing that's helped me in what to do with the Bible now that I have this other view of it is to see the Bible as literature and how that in my tradition, that meant it wasn't very valuable. So we had, I had a dichotomy presented before me. I had a choice. Either the Bible is the inerrant word of God, which is of utmost value because it gives us certainty in what we can know and how we can know God and how we can be saved for eternity. Or it's not an errant Bible. It's it's not the inerrant word of God and therefore isn't really worth much of anything. And so once I let go of this idea of inerrancy, I was confronted with the fact that I assumed it meant nothing because that was the two categories I was given. It's either this or it's nothing. And literature actually gave me the reminder I needed that those are not the only two options, that there are some beautiful writings in the world that impact us, not as divine authority that's going to smack us down if we don't agree with it, but in a, in a way that beautifully resonates with our humanity and, and where we are. It motivates us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so there's a reason why we have Lord of the Rings that endures even into the 21st century you know, a hundred years after it was written. There's a reason these stories resonate from 300 years ago, 500 years ago, a thousand, 2000 years ago. It's not because there's a divine authority that makes it evergreen. It's because there's something in it that resonates with our humanity. And so seeing and valuing the Bible as literature as something that can motivate us as it resonates with our humanity has helped me not to see it as a divine authority, but as this engine of creativity. Right, from the inside out rather than outside in. And the word that comes to my mind is sparking our imaginations. One of the more significant moments of my early life was after college. This is before I went to seminary or anything like that. But I read the Chronicles of Narnia. And 
I mean, I'm a college graduate reading children's books. I couldn't put them down, right? Because they sparked my imagination and they gave me, I think theology and imagination go together hand in glove. Theology is not simply an analytical exercise rooted in knowledge of Hebrew or Greek or the Latin fathers or the Greek fathers or the Reformation. It's because it's supposed to be a connection with the divine involving us as people. We're not machines. We're people with hopes and dreams and imaginations. And and I know I know that's going to sound very weird to some people listening, like your imagination is sinful. You can't listen to that. I got news for you, pal. Your your reasoning is sinful then too. Everything about you is fallen. If you believe in that, right, everything about you is a mess, including how you read the Bible mm-hmm. and how you and me too. It's amazing that total depravity doesn't seem to affect our reason. Yes, exactly. But. Anyway, you know, that's for a different podcast. That's a, for a different podcast. Yeah, so imagination. Yeah. You were saying imagination. Yeah, imagination's really, really important. And I know just stuff I've been reading lately about uh, science and, and religion and things like that. It's, you know, there's theologians who talk about imagination is crucial to the theological task because we're dealing with things that we simply can't understand and we know we can't understand it. We can't understand the quantum world. We can't understand the, the, the cosmology with size of things, the age of things. We have no frame of reference. And to think of God involved in all of that is an act of imagination. It's not an act of exegesis. It's not an act of finding the right bit of soil in that compost pile. It's it's just imagining what the garden can look like when when you're done working with it, you know, and and it's not going to be a perfect garden, but mm-hmm. that's not the point. It's not about perfection. It's about communion, I would say, yeah. and imagination is crucial to that. And, and for me, and I think we should probably wrap it up here in a minute. So my, my final thought is I think of it as a polarity, and if you wear there are two sides of this coin for me. And I'm going to just be kind of personally for how I read the Bible now. And for a while I tried to reconcile these two. And then I just recognized there's an ebb and flow and there's a polarity here where it's not an either or it's a both. And, and it depends on where I am and it depends on what I'm doing. And that is what you called it kind of this analytical and this imaginative side. And I would call it, there's many ways we can present this polarity. There's, reading it for the original intention. What did the authors actually intend? And then there's reading it for my own spiritual growth today. Those are two different ways. They're not really easily reconciled. They're two different ways. And for me to mutually respect or honor the original intention and my own context, I can't reduce one to the other. They stand in conversation with each other at all times and I'm constantly going back and forth between the two because that's what a relationship and a conversation is. Even and some tension a little Some bit tension, for sure. That's how relationships work. Mm-hmm. And so that for me is the ebb and flow. If sometimes I go to the Bible, another way I say it is, am I going to the Bible to understand it or to stand under it? And those are two different things. If I'm going to understand it, then I put my thinking cap on and I'm looking at the original languages and I'm reading my study Bibles and I'm reading commentaries and I'm trying to understand the original context. That's different than when I'm going to the Bible to stand under it, which is more to be convicted on how am I living my life? Am I loving well? Am I not? And and I will look for that. So that is the lens, I would call it like the love-centered lens mm-hmm. that I am putting on specifically for the purpose. And I don't do that just with the Bible. I do that in relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm trying to understand my friends and sometimes I'm asking them 
to look at me and give me feedback and give me criticism. How can I improve? And I do so, that in my church community. And sometimes you hate your co-host. Sometimes I hate my co-host <laughs> and I don't want feedback from them. Um, no. So that's kind of how I'd end is right. for me, that's a very practical, you know, sometimes I think we try to reconcile these two. And for me, I've, I've given that up and seen the beauty and the polarity right. of sometimes I'm going to understand and sometimes I'm going to stand under. Right. And that's a good thing to end on. I think. Yeah. Excellent. We can't say everything here. No, we got to have. Well, we said a lot. This this keeps going. That's right. What and is the Bible? What do we do with it? That how else are we going to have a seventh season or the seventieth season if we're exactly. around that long? You know? Exactly. I can do this when I'm 130. That's not a problem. <laughs> I can I can do that. All yeah. right, folks. See you next time. See ya. You've just made it through another episode of The Bible for Normal People. Thanks to our listeners who support us each week by rating the podcast, leaving a review, and telling others about our show. We couldn't have made this amazing episode without the help of our producers group. Erica Morichahi, Alta Drott, David Jackson, Stephanie Nicole Walton, Sandy Bannister, Steve Mitchum, Scott Birch, Webb Hall, T. Randall Smith, and Derek E. Wilder. As always, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash the Bible for normal people, where for as little as $3 a month, you can receive bonus material, be part of an online community, get course discounts, and much more. This episode was brought to you by the Bible for Normal People team, Brittany Prescott, Savannah Locke, Stephanie Spate, Tessa Stoltz, Nick Striegel, Haley Warren, Jessica Shaw, and Natalie Wyand. Wow.